podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Four years and a couple of months after that England-New Zealand World Cup final in 2019 at Lords, both the teams got us started off in Ahmedabad in the 2023 World Cup final. While the 2019 final was fantastic and it was the most enthralling finals ever, this could be called as one of the most one-sided matches the two teams have played in recent memory. Hello and welcome to episode two of the One Shot Cricket Podcast, the official cricket podcast of the Sports Gazette. I'm Ayush and joined by Toby for today's episode. How are you, Toby? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, excited to talk about, well, what's been a good start, to be fair, to the World Cup. Less excited to talk about England's performance in that first first match, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it, let, I mean, that's, that is the place to start off. That was the match that got us kicked off in the World Cup and all eyes are on England again, defending champions. My favourites to win, if you remember, as they were yours as well. What are your first thoughts on England after that? Will it be safe to call it a hammering of sorts? Oh, yeah, 100%. England were absolutely smashed in that game. I don't think anyone really predicted how how dominant that New Zealand side could be. I remember when the when the team sheets first came out half an hour before the game, um, and I saw this of the New Zealand bowling attack, I thought this could go one of two ways. Either New Zealand with six part-timers effectively all trying to sort of get a few overs out of them all, either New Zealand could manage to sort of skittle England and the part-timers would get sort of in England's uh, minds and and they'd almost sort of psych themselves out about trying to attack the sort of the um, the weaker bowlers and, and defend to the, the stronger ones. Or England would just go ballistic and score 450. And unfortunately, uh, it was the first one, which was a bit of a shame for, for an England fan that I am. But it was unbelievable how England just capitulated they all scored double figures, which is the first time ever in a World Cup, I think. But no one kicked on. Joe Root looked looked nice and, and batted well for a 77. Um, but alongside him, everyone sort of slowly got in and then slowly got out. There was no real explosion, which you are sort of used to seeing with this England side over the last decade almost now. And they just didn't really play in their usual style. It, it's almost been a, in a role reversal. When you go back to... You know, a couple of years ago, this England White Bull side were really dominant, really aggressive, really attacking. And the test team looks pretty sort of meagre and and sort of trying to just bat out time. And it was almost that role reversal here where you've got basketball going on along one side. Um, but this White Bull team just didn't really stand up. Only only really Harry Brook scored at a sort of a decent rate that you'd be expected to see this England side bat at. Um, but but no one else really seemed to try and take it to the uh, to the to the Kiwis, which is pretty much how any team under Morgan for those four years would have done, uh, would have done it, and would have, would have tried to to take apart what was or what should have been quite a weak bowling attack. It was basketball, but it was from New Zealand, taking taking inspiration from their legend in Brendan McCullum. So yeah, I just before I get into that England New Zealand match, is that something? you know, into the details, like, you know, the stuff you just spoke about. That stat that you mentioned where 
is the first time in the history of ODI cricket, men or women, where all 11 players in a team have gotten to double digits. And I just have not been able to stop thinking about that stat this moment I read it. I mean, you feel that in the history of the sport for so many years, you'd at least see that once. And this was this was the first time it has happened. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think what you mentioned with... Uh, just I, I don't know. It was surprising because when Johnny Besto started the World Cup with a six, I think second ball six of Trent Bolt, you're like, there we go. That's, that's the England brand of cricket. They're ready. They want to score off those 400 totals, 350 plus. And then it was just a lack of confidence of sorts, what I saw with England, where they were not sure exactly how to approach uh, that innings on that kind of a wicket. And meanwhile, New Zealand comes out and absolutely, you know, absolutely destroys the England bowling attack. So Rachan Ravindra, four years ago, was in a pub in Bangalore watching the England-New Zealand final at Lords. And then a couple of days back, he was playing the World Cup opener against England and taking his team to victory. It is absolutely mental, the, the change he's had. He was, he was almost not going to be in this squad by the, by the sounds of it just a few weeks ago. Um, and then there was no chance he was going to be in the starting eleven. And especially when England took him down, he was batting in the middle order just a few weeks ago in, in the warm-up matches, that, that four-match series. And then he bats at three instead of Kane Williamson, the Kiwi great, arguably one of, if not the best, New Zealand batter ever. And he goes and makes 123 not out from 96 balls. It is a remarkable story. Just the, the transformation that's that he's had... I think no one really thought that he was going to be such a key cog for the for New Zealand in this opening match. And he's he's just shown everyone up, basically. He batted really, really nicely alongside Devon Conway. Just looked relaxed from what I saw. Didn't really give many chances or any chances. And just made it look really easy. To be able to score at 128 strike rate, Conway at 125, just shows how comfortable it is. None of the England batters really found that right rhythm. When you look at their strike rates, Harry Brook was 150 and only really sort of exploded for hitting a few boundaries right at the end before he got out. And the next highest you've got is Adil Rashid, who actually batted quite nicely at the end alongside Mark Woods, um, and Josh Butler at 102. And then everyone else is, is below that 100 strike rate mark on what should have been a fairly comfortable mm. pitch. And Ravindra, as well as taking a wicket as part of the reason why he's in that team, batted fairly comfortably and, and didn't really try to overextend himself um, and, and just looked really, really good. What did what did you make of him, Ayush? Yeah, just so confident. You, you look at him and, you're like, and you would not, if you wouldn't know about him, or you wouldn't know the background, uh, there's no way you'd think that this is the first time he's playing a World Cup game. It's just he comes out there, expresses himself as a as an you know, like, okay, I belong, I belong here. I'm here to beat the best team in the world, the world champions, and make a statement. He's 23 years old. When I think about it, it also tells me a lot about the New Zealand management and, you know, the, the, the system that they have 
clearly defined roles for everyone and no one is afraid to take take on that role when a 23 year old 23 year old comes in and plays like that it's i think it's 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 so good for them and uh what what it also makes me think of is now who's going to sit out when kane williamson comes back in because he is coming back in at some stage you think will young after a bad outing there as well but then again who opens when will young's out and do you see kane williamson open what do you think yeah i i think it's going to be a really tough call i assume ravindra might move up to open but obviously he's done so well at number 3 that woods would New Zealand really want to change it up a little bit? But I don't think there's a huge difference between that opening and opening to the partnership and, and batting at three. So I assume he should be able to make that move. Williamson might sort of make that call himself and say, as captain, you know, I, I think that maybe I should I should do this. I should move up the order and allow some of the younger guys to bat in their natural positions. But Williamson has been so good at the number three position for so long that this maybe just be might be a one-off from Ravinder and and he might just be as comfortable at, at opening the batting. So it will be interesting to see what, what they do decide to do. I'd probably get Ravinder to open and drop Will Young. Um, and I think the sort of Will Young experiment's been going on for a few months now. Hasn't really paid off yet. And I mean, they, they had Finn Allen before, didn't quite live up to, to what they were hoping. So I think maybe Ravindra could be the way to go. He obviously bowls a bit of off spin as well. Or uh, left arm um, orthodox, sorry. Um, so I think that's always useful to have in the team. So I think probably Ravindra to open, but it'll be interesting to see what New Zealand do. And it, it actually could be quite telling as to, to what the camp is like. Yeah, and New Zealand look up for the task, don't they? After losing the last two finals, will it be third time lucky? We'll see. But they certainly seem like they're here to make a massive, massive statement. But while there was so much excitement, you know, England, New Zealand starting things off with those memories still fresh of Lords and things like that, a World Cup back in India, the crowds put a really dampener, in my opinion. You know, the lack of crowds, I should say, uh, in that first game. You know, two big teams. Yeah, we know the host one playing there. Uh, you want you expected that as the game went on uh, on a Thursday evening, you'd see more and more people, which you did, but it was, still wasn't enough. Again, we saw that problem earlier today as well in the Sri Lanka South Africa game, where in the morning, on a Saturday morning, there were very few people in the stands. Fifty-over cricket is already grappling, you know, with its identity and with its future with constant doubts about, okay, is this, how many more 50-over World Cups will we see? Something like that, uh, you know, making things worse in that regard. Yeah, it's, it is such a shame that the most obvious point about this, I mean, you look at the England's, uh, England-New Zealand game, 130,000-seater stadium, looked absolutely empty. There were, what, 30,000 people, 40,000 people max there, it looked like. And it's just, not a great advertisement for the game when when you have a sort of World Cup opener. It was the final last time out. Two of the greatest ODI teams. And it sort of just didn't really have the atmosphere or, or the crowd there to back it up. When you look in 2019, I think pretty much every game was sold out. It was like Afghanistan were playing Bangladesh 
and it was still sold out. They, the English English fans, absolutely loved it and threw themselves into it. And you kind of have to hope that maybe as the tournament goes and, and builds up, some more of the Indian fans will get into it, and it will sort of go from there. But it is really is a shame that it started on such a sort of sour note almost with with the lack of crowds, and maybe England uh, India playing Pakistan in in a in a week or so that might kick it off. Maybe if there's a great game there. And obviously, you'd expect that to be sold out. That maybe more fans might start showing up and might be able to to go from there. Yeah, India Pakistan is definitely going to be absolutely buzzing there. Maybe not even an empty seat in the crowd. We'll see. I think the World Cup needs something like that coming as early as next weekend. Uh, but they might have to start filling crowds a lot earlier. People will have to start showing up for the sake. Of the 50-over World Cup, at least. But talking about Pakistan, Toby, they didn't have it easy in their first match against the Netherlands. Not at all. It was almost going to be one of the greatest upsets of World Cup cricket, almost being the key word there, unfortunately. I mean, Pakistan got off to a pretty poor start. They were 38 for three um, against the Netherlands and, and looked like they were struggling slightly. And then they had a great partnership, Sal Shaquille and, and Rizwan were both brilliant, 68 each, 100-run partnership. And they managed to sort of slowly build it back up. Had a slight collapse maybe at the end again, but but 286 seemed like it could be just short of par, particularly when Rizwan and Shakir were batting and, and making it look somewhat easy. The Netherlands got off to a good a good start as well. Um, Singh only the batting, lovely little half-century, and, and Baz the lead, their... their Talisman of an all-rounder who took four for in the first in in first innings as well got sixty-seven, and they were getting close. They were getting close, and then unfortunately couldn't quite get across the line. weren't able to bat out the fifty overs. Um, had had a big collapse at the end to to fall for two hundred and five all out. Um, and yeah, when Baz the lead went in the sort of thirty-third over, that was that was when I think really the Netherlands looked like they were going to struggle to get there. He was going to be crucial for them. And I mean, I think we're both talking about it in last week's episodes, um, sort of what the Netherlands needs. And it was, I think I mentioned a spinner to try and get wickets through the middle, which they didn't quite have. And that could have been useful to get out Rizwan and Shaquille. And I think you might have mentioned a, a batter to help them to try and bat through the overs. And that was really where they sort of fell down is they got off to a great start. Singh looked absolutely world-class at, at the beginning, Look, was carving... Um, the Pakistani bowlers through the offside, through the leg side, some unbelievable shots through the covers in particular. And Baz Dalid looked good as well, but around them there wasn't really enough and just one other batter maybe could have helped them sort of push on slightly more. 80 runs, I think, flatters Pakistan. It was a lot closer than than that suggests and and a few a few more runs down the order. I mean, Scott Edwards, the captain, got a second ball duck. Zulfikar got only 10. Rolof van der Merwe, who's a, who's a decent bat, got four. And yeah, no one else really managed to push on and get any sort of runs after Baz the lead. And I mean, if him or Singh could have pushed on any any more, then it would have got really, really interesting down the order. What did you make of it? Because I personally didn't think the Netherlands would have been able to, to compete in a way that they seemingly have in that first match. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have seen it coming at all when, you know, the Netherlands were, I think, 130 or something for two 
and you're like, can they do this? Vikramjeet was looking good. Baz the lead looking good. And yeah, like you mentioned, it they it was just then those two and then nothing around them. Nothing before, nothing after. Uh, credit, a lot of credit to Harris Rauf and the rest of the guys because uh, in a pitch, not doing much for the Pacers, they use that extra pace that they have to kind of eke out some of those wickets, especially Rauf. Spinners also got into it a little bit, but uh, th- that's that's the difference, isn't it? When with one team that's established, an established side, and the other team that does not just play enough ODI cricket against some of these top teams, uh, apart from World Cups, how are you going to expect them to be competitive then and kind of close out these moments? We've, we've seen it not just in cricket, but in many different sports where closing out games is such a big challenge. And when they don't get this kind of experience as often as they should, yeah, uh, it's a bit difficult. But I would like to see the Netherlands close things out against at least one of the big teams going forward. Wouldn't that be exciting? I think there's definitely a good chance they might as well. I was I was really pleasantly surprised by how how well they played. And, and they had a lot of bowling options which meant they could mix it up and sort of almost surprise Pakistan who was going to bowl. And I thought Edwards captain nicely there. They will need to really improve at getting wickets throughout and not allowing partnerships to build where possible. And um, when they were on top, if they could have just struck and got another wicket, another two wickets, Pakistan would have been in real trouble. And then it might come. It may, may be against a sort of slightly weaker batting lineup, maybe sort of Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Afghanistan. The Netherlands really do have a great option here to get get their first win in 15 years, I think it will be, in, in the World Cup. Talking about Baz Dalid, I think he's all, he's already given, at least me, one of the moments of the tournament so far. Did you did you see that wink to Harris Rauf after he smashed that bouncer for a six? Did you did you catch that? I did, I did. It's it's a nice bit of a nice moment there, I thought. A little bit of confidence, um, but not overly cocky, which is good to see. And I, and I think it almost calls back to I think it was the last World Cup, 2022, but it might have been the, the 2021 edition where Netherlands played Pakistan. And I think Ralph hit Baz lead in that match as well. And afterwards, they were having a nice little conversation. And I think probably Ralph was giving Baz lead a few tips, um, either facing fast bowling or bowling as a fast bowler. And then it comes back to this one a few years later. And Bazdalid smashes him over over deep square for a great six out of the middle as well, and it's it's nice seeing how he has improved and and probably taken on a few of Harris Ralph's tips just to give them straight back to him uh, this year. Yeah, we we kind of uh, you know with Michael in the last episode we kind of started a Barbarazam mini fan club. Maybe we could start a Bazdalid mini fan club after the kind of performances that he's been showing bad ball and a little bit of fun too at the side. Anyway, uh, we'll keep an eye on Netherlands, like you mentioned, how they go ahead. And it would be a huge talking point if if they can get one of those upsets, which after this performance against Pakistan, teams won't take them that lightly, I'm pretty sure. But let's also talk about some of the big games coming up this weekend. The biggest has to be hosts India starting against the most decorated side in World Cup history, Australia. Toby, I'm just going to put it to you there. What do you make of that? India, Australia, in Chennai, 
a World Cup opener for both teams. I mean, this is going to be an absolutely crazy game, you'd expect. It's going to be crucial. Whoever wins it, you think, is going to be feeling much, much better. India could could easily and should really beat Australia here. However, you know, India aren't the greatest World Cup side. 2011, they, they won it, obviously. But but since then, they've, they've really struggled in, in major ICC tournaments. And I think that maybe if Australia can get a little upset here, India could spiral, could collapse. You saw England in uh, 2019. We're looking really good, looking all right. Lost a couple couple games. They got the final few matches of the tournament and and they had to win three crucial matches. It could be somewhat similar for India. You wouldn't, it wouldn't be sort of unexpected to see. And I mean, you, you do have to say that if, if India play as well as they can do, as well as we know they can play, they're going to be pretty hard to stop for, for the Aussies, especially with the lack of spin options. I think Australia have Chennai is, is somewhat friendly to, to the spin spinners. So with Maxwell coming in as a second second option, it looks like maybe India could target him, target um, a couple of the weaker Australian bowlers, and and maybe put on a big score. But it's obviously hard to predict what will happen, which India side will show up, and and even this Australian side they just lost to South Africa in that five-match ODI series a few weeks ago. They're obviously still trying to find what's the best team. Is Smith and Labuschagne going to play as well? That's a big talking point. Because obviously, if if a pass scores over 300, can Smith and Labuschagne both bat at the rate that, that Australia will need them to? Or will they maybe bat too slow and, and allow a somewhat easy chase or easy defence for, for India? Who do you think Aisha will uh, win in this? What's going to be your, your big prediction? It would be difficult to not say that India will win this game. It's home, it's Chennai, those conditions. Uh, and with Australia missing a big spinner and uh, someone to support Adam Zampa as well. But um, it's Australia. You just can never count them out, especially when it comes to a World Cup, whoever they are playing, wherever they're playing. It's a tough one. It's it's really a tough one. I think India will get the job done. Uh, but, um, well, I would also think that uh, India's vulnerability against spin is a problem still for them. They are vulnerable against spin. And, yep, Ashton Agar is missing. Adam Zampa is playing. But Glenn Maxwell's good enough too. He's not... He, he's not a muck with the ball. He can, if he can get stuck in there, uh, and if we are seeing one of those typical Chennai turning tracks, suddenly three or four quick Indian wickets and anything could happen. Very, very true. It will be an exciting match, that's for sure. And it'll almost certainly decide some sort of a, a major um, part of this ODI World Cup, I'd have thought. Two teams definitely... The top four, I think, contenders. Both teams comfortably sitting in the top four among the contenders to win this World Cup. So there's already a bit of a potential semi-final or final preview that you're seeing so early in the tournament. But England's not going to have it easy as well in the second game that's coming up early next week. They've lost. It's a demoralizing loss. And they play Bangladesh, who have just beaten Afghanistan and looked really good, especially their bowling in these conditions. 
the advantage for ba- Bangladesh going into it is also that they're going to play on the same ground in Dharamshala uh, that they played Afghanistan. Now they face England there. Worrying times for England or do you think you know, Bangladesh is not going to be a match at all for them? This is a tough one. I think it will definitely be a close game. Uh, this will define England's tournament. I mean, they really need to find a way back to, to 2019 almost. If they can find any sort of form again, really put out a statement that they are here to win, then then they can get back on track fairly comfortably and you'd hope to see them push on through the rest of the tournament. However, this Bangladesh side are, are very, very good. They're not bad at all. They've got some really, really good spinners. Um, Shakib Alassane, obviously everyone pretty much knows about. He's He's been one of the best players, one of the best bowlers ever. And I mean, Mehdi Hassan as well. Um, he took a three for today and batted very nicely for, for a very good half century. It's going to be a struggle as well. They've obviously got a few decent seamers. It'll be a nice mix of an attack they've got. And, and England really need to show that they can handle the pressure, the spin and and everything on, on, on these sort of pitches in India, which they aren't that used to, particularly in longer format, 50 over stuff. Um so I think it could be crucial. I wouldn't be that surprised, having seen England's performance against New Zealand, if uh, if they if they might lose this and, and that's the end of their their ODI World Cup, which would be such a shame. And I mean, show how much me and me and you know as as predicting them both as as victors of the tournament. I I wouldn't want to see that happen. It's I wouldn't want myself to be that wrong so early on in the tournament, you know. But yeah, it, if that happens, if Bangladesh. To get that upset, it'll be massive. I think it'll be one of the biggest results in World Cups in, over the last so many years, I would say, not just this one, uh, but in the last so many years, it will be one of the biggest results. Uh, again, really tough one, but we've seen stranger things happen in the world of cricket before. Well, there's so much to talk about, and we're certainly going to keep an eye out on the way things pan out going forward. But that's all the time we've got for today. Thanks a lot, Toby, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this one. Yeah, absolutely great. Looking forward to the India-Australia match coming up in a few days. Should be an absolute cracker, hopefully, um, and could definitely have a huge impact on the rest of the tournament. Obviously, back in a few days to to hopefully discuss an England victory over Bangladesh to continue to make the tournament as exciting, also to even make it exciting, really. Definitely the two matches to certainly look out for the most until the next time we do this. Please do join us on episode three. Until then, you can check out our previous episode on out on the Sports Gazette. And uh, you can also read some of the articles that we've written on the Sports Gazette on the ongoing World Cup. Thank you for joining us, everyone. And we'll see you on episode three very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.